Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be revisiting drafts going as far back as 2012 and just breaking down kind of what my thought processes were during those drafts, who I wanted the Thunder to pick, and who they ended up taking. So as we're talking about the draft, I think it's a good segue into the sponsor for the Basketball Podcast Network, DraftKings.com. I'm not actually allowed to advertise them for gambling purposes. I'm not 21 years old yet, so you guys can check out all the other affiliates in the Basketball Podcast Network to find out more, but there's always deals going on there. I know last week there was actually a jersey giveaway that was hosted through DraftKings and also through the Basketball Podcast Network, so... A lot of cool things you guys can keep tabs on, so make sure to check them out. All the other affiliates, as I've talked about with a couple other podcasts on here, great stuff. I mean, you got varieties of pretty much every team in the league. I think as of now, there's around 27 of 30 teams, and the last three are probably going to get filled out in the next couple weeks. No guarantees, but that is the plan there. So get very excited, and it's going to mean a lot coming draft day because there will be some collaborations on tab. But just breaking it down from a straight-up Thunder perspective and kind of just mine, I wanted to go and talk about all these other drafts. And if you guys listen to other Thunder podcasts, which there are a lot, this is... This fan base has so many great podcasts. It's actually ridiculous. You have Down to Dunk. You have Locked on Thunder. You have Topic Thunder, The Uncontested. A lot of different stuff to choose from. And a lot of them have also been discussing, you know, revisiting drafts. And that's something that I love talking about because drafting for me is one of the most fun times of the NBA season. Just been a big deal with me. I play, you know, online leagues, like a little keepers league. Really old, kind of janky game, Stratomatic, if you guys have ever played it. More just like a card game, but it got transferred up to, you know, an online game. Not technically online. I think there's like, you can play head-to-head, but it's really meant for like Windows 98. It's not very good, um, at least... In that regard, like you can play any other video game, it'll be a million times better. But it's still fun for me. I love building my team up there, and drafting's always the best part of the season. So, just been something with me. Same goes with Thunder Drafts, and it's just gonna lead me into the history that is with the team. And for me, you know, I've been a Thunder fan since the beginning, really. Now, when the Thunder first came over, you know, it, it wasn't like I was at an age where. I even knew the Seattle Supersonics existed. I found out about them through playing like NBA Live 03. I had a GameCube sitting around. I was like, oh, I guess that's history. But yeah, I mean, I just kind of started watching the Thunder pretty young. And hell, I just kind of picked up on it. Loved loved watching them play. And, you know, whenever I saw the team get constructed, 2012 was the first year. The 2012 draft was the first year that I really got into this drafting stuff. So I learned about a lot of the prospects. I don't have the actual mock draft I made online, um, or I I have it all on Microsoft Word, but this one, I just, I hand wrote it. It is probably the most prized possession that I just do not have. I'm so mad I lost it. But I made a whole entire sheet of paper, 
made a whole draft board like the old ones where you had all the logos etched on. I had all the names, had like a little column for right and wrong. I think he even discussed who I liked in the draft class. But it was it was awesome. Uh, I really wish I had it though. I do remember who I wanted in that draft class, and it's never gonna leave my mind. This is a story that I will always tell people, and people will probably not care. <laughs> but it's still really fun to talk about nonetheless. So going into 2012, there were two guys that I really loved in the draft class that were kind of near the Thunder's pick. One of them didn't make it, one of them did. And it was Jared Solinger and Draymond Green. And that's the deal where it's like, really? Really? You like Draymond Green? I loved Draymond Green, as a matter of fact. I loved him out of Michigan State. If I were to tell you why, I couldn't, I probably couldn't have even told you at the time, what, eight years ago, what Draymond even did well. I just remembered him being a star for the Spartans, and that was good enough for me. Same goes for Jared Sollinger for the Buckeyes. I said, hey, he can shoot the basketball. Thunder would love to have a guy like that. He's going to be great. And Sollinger, I think I had a mock so high. Like, in the beginning, whenever I started doing these, my mocks were so terrible. I think I had Sollinger going, like, in the top 10 that season. Let's see. Yeah, I I think I had Sollinger going to the Warriors at 7. And he didn't go there. He ended up falling to 21 for the Celtics. And then he was done. I mean, you know, that is what it is. But the Thunder were picking 28th. And you had Draymond Green on the board. I was, like, hiding behind my chair in my family room. And when they said Perry Jones the third, I flipped it. I was so mad. I remember... I think I was punching the chair. I think I might have even started crying. It was not a good scene, though. And I'm not sure if I got over it. Honestly, don't think I got over it. Let's say I was Sam Presti that year. You probably don't have to worry about this whole dynasty crumbling. Draymond pulled Kevin Durant out of the franchise's hands. You put me in the desk. It doesn't matter what I do in 2013 and beyond. You're going to be set up there. And Draymond's going to work out fine for you. So... Obviously, under the Thunder system, under Scott Brooks, probably would not have been as good as under Steve Kerr, let's just be honest, but would have been a much better pick than Perry Jones Jr. And this was the guy, I think out of every draft, Draymond Green was somehow the guy that I guess maybe I just out of nowhere is like, I love this guy, but I remember having so much emotion towards him. I don't think I've had that with any other prospect. Um, yeah, I don't think I've had that with any singular prospect. There's been drafts where I've had multiple guys I really love, but Green was someone I just focused on for that pick. And when he did not get selected there, even though he was there, I was so mad, man. And I mean, I was kind of that in that draft class. Honestly, I never really paid attention to second round draft picks. Last time I kind of cared was last year. And when we drafted... Devon Hall and uh, Kevin Hervey, but I'll go into those classes as we kind of go in. 2013, though, this was the draft where Oklahoma City cashed in pretty much all of their chips, and this is coming off of the James Harden trade. They had pretty high second round pick. They had their own pick, which was lodged in the back of the first round. So they had three pretty high, well, I wouldn't say pretty high. They had one lottery pick, and then they had a late first and a really, really 
early second round pick to tinker with. So this is where you had to make your ground up because at the time, James Harden was already looking like a stud for the Rockets and Kevin Martin was good. But I think at the time, it was it was kind of a done deal. It was a jip. And then Jeremy Lamb didn't really pan out. So you needed a hit with this 12th pick and they took Steven Adams. This draft class, I was all over Kelly Olenek. I had written on my mock that you need to get Kelly Olenek, even at the bottom. I, I still noted you need to trade up for him. And yeah, I mean, I loved him. The main reason was he could shoot the basketball. And the Thunder, they did not have a good stretch big at the time. And that has been something they just have struggled with for so long. You know, they kind of fixed it out now with how the roster is constructed. But as a center, you never had a guy who could shoot the basketball. Now, when you compare Olenek to Steven Adams right now, obviously you're going to be taking Steven Adams. He was a much better pick. But I don't know. I was in love with Kelly Olynyk, and I honestly don't think there was anyone else in this area that I actually liked. So Kelly Olynyk was the home run. Did not take him. This was another draft class where I was really mad. And I guess it was just, you know, I, I don't even know, maybe a maturity standpoint, but I feel like all these, you know, as you kind of progress through the years, I cared a lot about these guys, but my reactions kind of dwindled down a bit. Do you remember though with Kelly Olynyk, I was still pretty heated about the move, but yeah, in retrospect, that's a point for Sam Presti. Clearly, you would want Steven Adams over a guy like Kelly Olynyk. And I remember listening. This was something that I reported about, I believe. Um, but and this might be a misquote, so don't kill me here. But I remember that Sam Presti was talking with I think season ticket holders or people really close. They got an interview with him, and they were talking about the 2013 draft class. And Sam Presti was talking about how there were two different options really at that pick, and both of them were available. And it was kind of a swing for the fences. The other guy was kind of an anomaly, and he said that either pick would have worked out. When you look at that, I'm thinking that's either Giannis or you're talking about Rudy Gobert, because when Giannis was available, this was coming from the Woj pod, by the way, he did a really good series on Giannis Antetokounmpo, and one of the parts of it was Milwaukee, they were actually trying to trade up during the draft, and they were really sold, they thought that Oklahoma City was going to select Giannis Antetokounmpo. So they tried ringing up Sam Presti to make a deal, and it got shut down. So as soon as that phone slammed, they thought it was a done deal. Giannis was going to Bricktown, and they would have to settle for another player. I think it was Dennis Schroeder that they were eyeballing, but it's no Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? They didn't take him. They took Adams. We're not going to know who that second guy was. I think I think it's going to be Giannis or Rudy. Either of them would have been better than Steven Adams, but you're not going to be mad with getting Steven anyways. But um, yeah, that's just another little what-if scenario you can play back in your head. But as you go past that draft pick, you go into the waters of talking about another player, actually two players, and Andre Roberson and Alex Abrines. So the Roberson pick for me, 
I was really just indifferent about it. I think both these picks, I don't have a good memory of what I, you know, liked in the back end there. I do remember I did like Ray McCallum though, and I still love him because when you play on 2K, you know, the late, when he was playing on the Kings, however long that stint was, he was one of the best cards you could use. And I'm not even kidding. If you played my team back when the player cards were made out of like, you know, you had like bricks for perimeter shooting, interior shooting, Ray McCallum was the best bronze guy you could have. And the way that that game worked, these old Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, 2K games was there was a stock market and this is something that should be in the new ones they're not going to do that because they're very greedy as a company but back in the old days depending on how they played you'd see the stock go up or down and based on that that determined the price with the currency that you'd need to pay and mccallum he never went up because the kings they weren't that amazing, and truthfully, McCallum wasn't that amazing as an NBA player either, but he was athletic, he could shoot, he did it all for you on the team, so I still really, really like him. When you go past that, truthfully, I don't really remember anybody I liked. I think Jamal Franklin out of San Diego State, I did like him, and I talked about it earlier on, I guess last week I did, uh, when I was mentioning on the solar panel podcast another affiliate with the basketball podcast network they had cameron Payne on and he was talking about while in china he pretty much lost a battle with jamal franklin for a roster spot and that's why he had to settle for the g league obviously that was the better route for him to take look at what he's doing now for the phoenix suns but he's torching it up right now in um in china i'm assuming that's still where he is but he is a straight up star overseas yeah he's still playing in the cba same exact team as he was a year ago outside of them though like i said i don't really see anybody here and who they took roberson yeah it's a good pick i think when it was selected though it was kind of an oddball like i've never heard of him and Truthfully, I probably wasn't pleased with the pick. And then Alex Abrines, this was a guy who, when first selected, he's also kind of an oddball. But the whole talk about him was he was a sharpshooter, and that is something the Thunder desperately needed. So I was happy with that. And I remember, it took him a little bit to come over and end up playing. But I was talking, I remember, you know, sitting at like, it was at some restaurant, but talking about Alex Brinez. I was super hyped to see him come over. He was pretty solid. He wasn't amazing or anything like that. Did a suitable job. And then I think now he's actually back playing in the Euro League. No, he's playing in. Yeah, yeah. He is playing in the Euro League for FC Barcelona. I think that's where he's playing even before. Actually, yeah, it was. And one pick that I left out, truthfully, I don't think it really holds much merit at all like this was a pick that was kind of a wasted one anyways it didn't have much kind of gravity towards it it was the selection of grant jarrett at pick 40 and that's a lot higher than i remember i thought grant jarrett was literally like pick 59 or something pick 40 that's a high second round pick when you put it into comparison and even right there jamal franklin was on the board pierre jackson from Baylor was on the board. Both of them were good. Ricky Lido. 
it's another 2k name man all these 2k guys are just stuffed in the back uh, of that second round there and even at 44 mike muscala was there like i said i didn't know anybody so jamal franklin would have been the only person i truthfully could have cared about but that was about it for the draft class vander blue he was undrafted i do remember kind of feeling pretty good about that guy was great in the g league played for the south bay lakers and then i don't even know what's going on with him anymore and you know what no seth curry i had him mocked for the thunder taking him at pick 32 in the draft i didn't know anything about him probably just a last name thing he can shoot the lights out and that would have been a great pick at 32 but going over to the 2014 draft class this was another one where my draft board i don't remember the logic i used but it looks a lot better than what was actually selected here and honestly this might have been the best you could have done this might have been the draft yeah this was with Jokic, so i guess technically it, it wasn't the best scenario but i got some top tier guys that i had on my mock so the thunder had two first round picks this year they had it at pick 21 and then also at pick 29 they had a second selection and for pick 21 they took mitch mcgarry this was another player i didn't i didn't really you know have a yes or no on him but i do remember liking rodney hood at that selection he would have been there he got picked 23rd but there was also another guy that i had and i don't have the logic so i can't be like i scouted him i knew he would have been amazing but i had clint capella going to 21 and then at pick 29 i had jordan clarkson going to the thunder that hall versus mitch mcgarry and josh Hustis. that is that is ridiculous that is a st i'm not gonna say a star caliber center but he's a very very good center in the league and then the sixth man of the year who would be the perfect six man would have been the perfect six man just in general for the thunder as soon as 2016 during that run you needed a spark plug off the bench jordan clarkson would have been there and maybe in some alternate universe they do end up winning and hey you take draymond green from 2012 doesn't matter if he's an all-star for the thunder or just washed up playing in europe he's not on the warriors the timeline is different you're probably not even playing them honestly he might be playing the spurs or something but those two picks were were pretty bad mitch mcgarry though i i, I liked him i think i grew into him like he was considered a steal just like perry jones was i didn't talk about it in 2012 the 2012 part but perry jones was a steal and if he would have left after his freshman year of college he would have been a much better place i think that him staying for a sophomore year really stunned his growth honestly and he was expected to be a star for the baylor bears that year kind of fell off a cliff like the production kind of ramped down even thunder took him on a prayer like that was one of the better picks you could have taken like that that guy probably had the highest ceiling of players at that spot at least that's what the thought was at the time and i, I guess i really can't complain about it with mitch mcgarry it's the same thing too like he fell down the board and his post game looked good there was a chance he could have been a really good shooter screen wise he's big great rebounder 
that's a good pick. I mean, on paper, he was very good, and there was a couple games in McGarry's rookie season where he actually met those expectations, really, where he was able to get you a double-double, and it was off of rebounds, obviously, but then as an offensive player, like right down low, good post-up guy, and even in the mid-range, he was working out. So I don't really remember where the issues came in. I think maybe it was it was like legal troubles that derailed his career, but yeah, I, I don't know. That was not a terrible pick in my eyes, though. And then at 29, like the Houston's pick, I don't know where the logic was. Like, you wanted to get another defensive specialist. You picked Andre Roberson from the season right before. And Houston never panned out. Like, I think he was just an OKC Blue specialist or something. But he never really came into the Thunder lineup and made a gigantic impact. It's kind of just there. I know he did get minutes on occasion. But just wasn't, you know, anything really too too crazy. And then, I mean, that was really it. I think other players in the draft that I didn't talk about, I wanted Markel Brown really bad, by the way. That was someone who I loved. Probably because, I, you know, I watched Oklahoma State so much that year. Marcus Smart, Markel. Markel was doing some wild stuff. Like, athletically, he was one of the better players in that draft class. And defensively, he was great. I still think, you know, if Brooklyn gave him a serious chance, he would have panned out in the league. And the same goes for Marshawn Brooks, too. I think the Nets just throw away talent. They just bat an eye. You know, with, with Brooks, they just traded him away in that blockbuster deal. I don't remember exactly what the transaction was with Brown that sent him off, but they did him dirty. He, he looked really good. And then even at the bottom of the board, this is another player who played for Brooklyn. Corey Jefferson was, that was a good pick. I mean, when you were talking Mr. Irrelevance, there was a time where Corey Jefferson was considered like one of the top, like his beginning to the NBA was great. And then it just stopped. They cut him off. Maybe it was because they weren't that great, but I don't know, man. I think they could have given him some life there. Same goes with Brown. As you go to 2015, though, this is when you had the injuries suffered. OKC barely missed the playoffs, and they had the 14th pick in the draft. And Devin Booker was the guy that everybody wanted. You needed a shooting guard to pair along with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. Just somebody plug in, get some sort of James Harden shot creator type of guy, even without that, just a shooter who, I mean, he did have a really good pull-up game with Kentucky, so I will call him a shot creator, honestly. But yeah, I mean, he was the man, and I think if he got to the Thunder's pick at 14, Sam Presti would have taken him. That was not what happened, though. You know, the Suns snagged him a pick before, and the Thunder's board dried up a bit, but in my eyes, I thought there were a lot of good players in this draft class, even at this spot with no Devin Booker. Kelly Oubre Jr. was the guy for me. Got taken one pick after Cameron Payne, and then even working a little bit further down the board, I saw DeLon Wright as a pretty good prize right below him. Jerry and Grant, too. And then also, you had Rondé Hollis Jefferson. So there were a lot of options for me 
in this year. And when Cameron Payne was selected, I was pretty salty about it because I thought if you're going for a point guard, that's fine. There's no way you're going to pass up on either Jerry and Grant or DeLon right before Cameron Payne. That was my thought. And really, that was a good call by me until like three months ago, really. But um, yeah, DeLon Wright's great. Jerry and Grant, I, I don't even think he's in the league anymore. Yeah, he's playing in Greece right now. But those are two solid rotational guys for a little bit. I think they probably would have been a little bit more ready. And it's weird because Cameron Payne, I mean, he was a sophomore, a little bit older coming into the league, but he was just so raw anyways. Like his playmaking was not crazy. The floater was the floater was cool and the shot was also very cool but the thunder were in win now mode and they ended up going for a backup point guard who really didn't align and i think that's really what hurt cameron Payne in the end and why they kind of were getting a little bit dirty with him sent him off to chicago it was a great return obviously but they didn't really give him the time and i don't think it was a good situation behind westbrook that friendship was great but you just couldn't really get anything clicking with him. And like I said, at the time, you didn't really want to be trying to develop players. You wanted to have a roster full of developed players already and make a finals push. That's what it really came down to. And it couldn't really work out. So I don't blame Cameron Payne for him not you know, becoming amazing for the Thunder anyways. But, eh. Man, that one does sting. It did sting at the time for sure. Going on to 2016 though, this was a draft where Oklahoma City, they really didn't have a first round pick entering, but they made a they made an amazing move. Trading Serge Ibaka out to Orlando, got Victor Oladipo, and then got Sabonis at 11. I wasn't even paying attention really to what the Thunder would have needed. Sabonis was great though. And, you know, you had, at the time, Kevin Durant on the roster. The draft day was a complete success. You couldn't have asked for anything better. Surge was amazing, yes. But you got Victor Oladipo, who was just growing and growing in Orlando. Great two-way player. Really defensively, he was amazing. And then athletically, he was a freak. And you get Sabonis in the system, who I don't know much about, but... Post-wise, mid-range-wise, he was good. He he was a pretty solid, at least mid-range player that would be 10 times better than what the Thunder had at the time. You know, they could not, you know, they, they couldn't shoot in the front court pretty much. But then Kevin Durant walked and it was, you know, you know how the dominoes fell out. Sabonis was amazing though, and you cannot complain about that pick. Really, that was the best pick you could have taken. Pascal Siakam was at 27, but... Come on, man. That was the best pick you could have taken, logically, in the entire draft at that selection. So Sam Presti knew exactly what he was doing when it came down to selecting his players. 2017, probably the most hyped up draft class, at least I've, I've been hyped up for. I mean, maybe 2014 comes in pretty close because you had Wiggins, you had Jabari Parker, Aaron Gordon, all those different players. But how about Lonzo Ball taking it over in Chino Hills? That, that group with all three of the Ball brothers, 
was, you know, the lunchroom talk. Everybody loved Chino Hills that I talked to. I don't know how you could dislike them, honestly. They played so fun, and they were just all over the place. So when Lonzo's getting drafted, you have LeVar Ball acting like an absolute fool. Um, but yeah, I mean, taking second wasn't really a surprise. I guess maybe just more of, okay, it happened. If he didn't get picked at two, then there would have been problems. But um, yeah, you work past that, though. Oklahoma City didn't have a ton to work with. They just had their own pick at 21, end up moving their second round selection to the Denver Nuggets. But at 21, this was a pick that, honestly, this might be the first time, but I just 100% agreed with it. They took Terrence Ferguson at the time, and yeah, I was cool with it because Oklahoma City needed to get a shooting guard. Like, the wing issue was never resolved. It just doesn't get resolved. In that little patch where you had Scott Brooks running the show and then finally you switch into Donovan, this the just constant variable that you had was there was no just blooming shooting guard ever since James Harden got replaced. And that was the big gap. And now you're talking in 2017 where you're not looking at a championship run, really. You're just staying above the water right now. Oklahoma City needed to make a big play and try to go for somebody who had a pretty high ceiling. And I think Terrence Ferguson was definitely that. I mean, getting selected out of Australia, you don't have this straight up tape on him, but he was he was a really high four star, gonna go to Arizona State. Might have been Arizona, but it was one of the two, and then swapped over. There's not a lot of tape on him, but you you can see some of these overseas guys translate over just fine. Another dude who came out of Australia this year, LaMelo Ball. If he had a whole healthy season, he'd probably be rookie of the year. So it definitely works. You can transition from playing overseas. And this was a home run swing by Sam Presti. And it was an absolute strike. Whiffed it totally, but it was still a good play. I think even now, it was where you probably should have been at in terms of selecting someone. OG Ananobi, I saw as pretty interesting, at least on the defensive side, but I'm not going to say I was mad. Semi Ojale, also too. It's sem- Semi. Yeah, Semi Ojale. I thought he was good out of SMU strictly because he could shoot the basketball. And now you're starting to see kind of what my mind was thinking for like the, that five-year span. Get a shooter pretty much every time. That's what they needed, and they just didn't really go for it. Ferguson had the room too, though. He had a nice shot. Athletically, he could jump out of the gym. He probably still can. And defensively, this dude had some gangly arms, so there was real hope for him to grow into something. And that Lakers game he had in his rookie year where he had that windmill dunk in transition, he looked like he would have been something. And then it it just didn't really work out. None of the puzzle pieces fit for him. And the three-point shot was a layer of his game that needed to work out for him to be valuable. And he just couldn't make shots. If he was able to make threes, the paint would be opened up, and that's where the real beast in Terrence Ferguson would have been unleashed. Defensively, he wasn't very good, honestly, and it was an issue. So he was just a player who never got together, but always just had the p- 
potential written all over him. And I don't know what's going on legally with him right now, but you know, he got moved in the Al Horford deal kind of as just a filler. Though when it happened, it's probably the first time since he got picked or since his rookie year that I genuinely was like, wow, the Thunder might have, you know, made a mistake not keeping Terrence Ferguson. Like I was on the pro Terrence Ferguson train for that split second. And then he just he didn't play for Philadelphia, got traded to I guess the Knicks, and I think he got waived by them. But yeah, I think he just fills it out of the NBA entirely. There's other things going on. But yeah, I I thought there was a lot of potential. That was a good pick by Presti, I think, even though it just simply did not work out for the franchise. Going into 2018, it was just another year where Oklahoma City didn't have a lot of room in the first round. They traded away their pick. All they had were two second round picks in the very tail end. This is the worst draft the Thunder had at all, like just in general. Picks 53 and 57. That's all they had in this draft. And I, I don't know. I mean, even in the back, there was still one player that I liked. I think in these like late drafts or when you get to the undrafteds, there's always a group of guys that you like. Obviously, you don't expect the teams to draft them, but you're like, you know, if they have a late second round pick, this is who you want. Like your attention completely shifts off what happens in the first round. You're looking at that second round pick and saying, this guy, we need this guy. And what do you know? The dude you're eyeballing is Malik Newman or something like that. So it's really just hit or miss anyways. You go for the big names. I know the, um, I forgot the name. I think it was Billy Preston. Just all these five-star guys. That's really who you start talking about late. And there was a big name, even at 53 and at 57. And it was Kostas Adentacupo. I would still like to have him. I mean, he's playing for the Lakers right now. Is his role significant? Absolutely not, but you know, I'd say I'd probably take him over Hall and Hervey. In the case of Hall, he's supposed to be a sharpshooter, just wasn't really. And then Hervey, he looked good in the G League at times. I thought that probably he should have had a bigger opportunity on the roster than what he actually had for the team. But both those shots were just in the dark, so I'm not mad about it. In the undrafted area, though, well, not even in the undrafted because he did get picked. He got picked right after Hall. Shake Milton was a player who I, I just liked solely off of. I th- He like grew up in Oklahoma. I think it was Tulsa when the reports were coming out. But yeah, it would have been a cool hometown story, I guess. He's doing great for the 76ers. And I I didn't have you know any strong suggestion towards him it was just hey you can waste away a pick might as well get shake milton and in the 40s the late 40s i was hoping the thunder could get him because honestly i was in it for the storyline at that point i didn't have any true guys that i was going crazy over d'anthony melton at 46 and also keita bates diop were two players i really like though melton he was just a prized possession of this draft class really in terms of sleepers you saw all the analysts jump and say this guy will be a sleeper i'm gonna bet everything on it 
Sounds like it was a pretty safe pick because Melton has been a good backup point guard. And then for Keita Bates-Diop, I don't even know what's going on with him, really. He's playing for the San Antonio Spurs on a two-way contract. I was just shocked he didn't get picked sooner. I thought he was going to be late first, early second. That was just all I was basing off of, the actual grade. And one guy that I actually sifted over, which I need to talk about, is Hamadou Diallo. This was a great pick, and I don't know if anyone was genuinely mad when they took this guy, because all you needed at that time was someone who could put a highlight play on. You had Terrence Ferguson. He gave it to you a little bit, but Hamadou Diallo was just a hoop mixtape waiting to happen, and now he's doing it for the Detroit Pistons. He's a great player, and... Yeah, at the time, that was that was a great pick. I don't think anyone was mad about it, honestly. You can talk about Melton. You can talk about Bates-Diop. When you saw just the dunks that Hamadou Diallo was pulling off, it didn't matter they didn't have a shot. You know, his defense wasn't all there. He had good rebounding. I don't even think it was highlighted. It was just filming him dunking the basketball, and that's all you needed to enamor me at the time. So it was a good pick by Presti. But yeah, that was about all the info I really had um, from that anyways. Going on to 2019, this is two years ago. It seems crazy. Like It, it feels like the 2020 draft just straight up didn't happen, but obviously it did. In 2019, though, this is where the Thunder were slotted to pick at 23. And originally, actually, they were at pick... 21 i picked 21 the clear pick was brandon clark i'm staying with that i love brandon clark think that was someone that was seen as just a straight up steal like it was so weird how everything played out in this um in this draft class honestly first you had cam reddish dropping from the board he was seen as a top five pick going into things and then you had you had brandon clark and yeah, out of Gonzaga, it seemed like he was amazing. Like he was able to dunk, he could shoot threes, rebound. That is a surefire pick. But Oklahoma City moves back two spots. And then Brandon Clark gets picked to make matters even worse. Like you were so close. Clark was expected to be a lottery pick. It's like, man, what on earth are you doing? And at the time though it it didn't matter because even though there was Clark on the board there were still about three or four guys that you would have loved to have and right after Brandon Clark there was pretty much a no name in Grant Williams like he's good now but he wasn't a big name and at 23 there was a whole list and I don't remember how I ranked them I just remember I would have loved any of three any of these three guys and at the top was kevin porter jr out of ucla or usc i don't even know how i mixed up those two schools honestly but out of usc and then right below him you had bull bull out of oregon how was he not a first round pick that little like draft room scene was that was sad and i remember going on twitter and or maybe he's even on the Wikipedia page. He got hacked for him. But they were saying how the cobwebs on his suit were because of how long he had to wait. 
he had to wait way too long and the nuggets even though they don't they don't play him like any minutes at all they just don't have the minutes in the rotation to pick 44 was still amazing for him but yeah i wanted him those two guys and then also nasir little solely based off the fact he was seen as a lottery pick going in seen as a guy you could turn into a star very athletic good defender kind of had a down year in college was expected to do much more but if you get the three going with him he'd be able to do it all so it was those three guys and they ended up going for Darius Baisley and I was I was actually upset at the time but one thing that I did talk about and I, I made it public um I made a post somewhere about it but whenever I was drawing up what I wanted the Thunder to do I actually wanted the Thunder to trade back now this is in one of those mock draft scenarios where you assume Kevin Porter Jr., Brandon Clark, all those big name guys, even Bull Bull and Nasir Little, they're off the board. You don't even have them to work with. And the thing with me was I wanted the Thunder to move back to picks 33 and 34 because the 76ers held those two back-to-back picks. I think 21 for 33 and 34 actually would have been pretty good. And I would have selected Darius Baisley with one of those picks. With that second pick, truthfully, I don't even remember. I would need to check the post to even sift through what it is. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and check that right now. And we're back. It, You know, that's the power of editing. That was like five minutes of me trying to find um, what I made like two years ago. But I had Baisley in that trade back and then also with that I kind of was all over the place on the board and I had guys like Jalen LeCue that I was talking about Jonte Porter I you know at the time really thought Jonte would pan out obviously the history of ACL injuries not just with him also with Michael Porter Jr. were a serious concern and it looks like MPJ's gotten over that hump with Jonte it was weird like he went from being a draftable player like I remember even seeing on the ringer and just high level sources that he was expected to get picked somewhere didn't get picked I'm assuming it's due to injuries if MPJ was able to slide from you know top five to 14 yeah Jonte sliding from like pick 35 to just not even draftable also makes sense to me but I saw Jonte as a long-term piece that you plug in and you try to turn him into a stretch big and then for Bays, just a ball handler with kind of some mystery factor to him so good player that you could use in the long term that's really what it all came about um in that draft and then with the cue it's not too hard to impress me I guess back then like I didn't care about other factors but athleticism that was it I saw Hamadou Diallo and I was sold on the queue we had him for about a week and even then I was still pretty mad about it like you guys can check in I guess it was November December when the queue got traded one of my first podcasts on here I was absolutely furious that we traded the queue I thought he was the best guy one of the best guys we got out of the CP3 package. Clearly, that's not the case because he got released by the Pacers. But yeah, I thought there was something that we could uh, we kind of mold out with him anyways. But um, yeah, that's kind of what my takes were on the 2019 class. 
when you look past that, really nobody else. Jalen Hands. I remember him because I used to watch um, one of the old YouTubers I used to watch. His name is Jesser DeLazer. I don't know if you guys watch him, but I used to watch him all the time. Like, I freaking idolized the guy. And he had Jalen Hands on. And he would have, like, collaborations with all these five-star prospects, McDonald's All-Americans. There was a whole group of YouTubers who did this. And Jalen Hands went in. I think he might have even lost... But, I mean, shoot, he was on there. He was a five-star. He's McDonald's All-American. Getting Jalen Hands at 56 was not a bad deal in my eyes. Jalen Hands isn't even playing um, in the NBA, whether it's in, you know, actually playing in the NBA or the G League. He's out of it. He left. I was really excited. I, I thought we had seen him in the in the bubble a little bit, but I guess before that, he already signed overseas, so he's working on a contract uh, over there. I mean, money-wise, it's the smart move because G League, it is kind of one of those hard decisions to make because financially you're screwed, but the opportunities just don't come up as easily because you can just, you know, you can transition into an NBA team pretty, pretty smoothly from the G League. If you're going in from playing in the EuroLeague or something, you got extermination clauses. If you don't have one, it can tend to get pretty nasty. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it, the G League route just didn't work out for him. But um, also, actually, Justin Wright Foreman, too. I did like him, but there was really nowhere the Thunder could have picked him. So just one of those guys you toss in is like a potential steal. I had him as one of those guys, and he has not really panned out as a player, to be quite honest with you. So, yeah, that, that was that. Um, in 2020, which is the last draft, um, this was where I did a lot of scouting, and I think this is probably my most thorough evaluation I've done. I'm going to try to do much better this year, though. I have stuff lined up that I hope you guys are really excited about, but I think I got this one down. Like, the guys that I liked in this class are doing very well for themselves. So whenever I do these little lists, and I'm mad at myself for never doing draft boards so I can really look at what my perspective is, because over time, it really can get jarred up to where, you know, you're kind of giving an advantage to yourself saying, oh, I like this guy. Um, But in a big board, I probably wouldn't even have him on there, you know. But with this being relatively new, I know who I liked in this draft class, okay? I had it all written up. And at pick number, I guess we would have had picks 25 and 29 at the time. I really, really liked Jaden McDaniels. And the issue was with this draft, ESPN, they don't do a great job of reporting trades. And it's partially their fault. It's also the NBA's fault because you will have guys like Jaden McDaniels, like Emmanuel Quickly, who was selected at pick 29, they'll go up on stage with a Thunder hat on, and they're not playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're playing for the Timberwolves and the New York Knicks. And the message isn't related to ESPN. I think when the deal was made, the initial trade was made where you traded Rubio 25 and 29 to get Poku at 17. They might have talked about it for like a one-liner. There might have been a one-liner they wedged in there saying, oh, Poku is going to Oklahoma City. 
I don't recall that. So I didn't know Pokusevsky didn't go to the Timberwolves. And he got picked. And I was like, damn, uh, he was a unique prospect. But, you know, you kind of just move on. Now you're looking at pick 25. And McDaniels was the man. And right before that, I think that's when they talked about the trade again. Or maybe they did the pick where they got McDaniels and then talked about it. I didn't want to check my phone. In previous drafts, I'd do it. But in this one, I I just want to live in the moment, really. When they announced that, I was mad because I thought McDaniels would have been amazing. He's been great for the Timberwolves this year, by the way. Like six foot eleven, really skinny, just like Poku in terms of frame. But he has a lot of potential as well. He can kind of work into pick twenty nine with, or I guess twenty five. I don't know how um, how I screwed the numbers up. It's twenty five and twenty eight. So quickly was first, and then McDaniel's was at twenty eight. But I picked twenty five on quickly. You know, I, I really wasn't all over him as a prospect. He's doing great in New York, though. Um, I wasn't all over him, though, as a player. I think Desmond Bain, Bain was a guy that I, I really liked. Um, now, in terms of timelines, I probably wouldn't have won him on this Thunder roster because he was going out of TCU as a senior. He's either 23 or 24 right now, so it just wouldn't make sense. It'd be uh, a dumb move. So he's great with Memphis right now, but... It was a lot of those guys. I think even before 25, I was sold on RJ Hampton. Now, as I talked about, I thought the Thunder had this pick. And as Hampton got selected one before, I was also pretty upset about it. And as you learn everything, you say McDaniels is gone, Quickly's gone, you get Poku. It hurts because you know you could have McDaniels. But Poku also made sense for what was going on. So I wasn't mad about the pick. At pick 34, though, this is where I seriously got the top two guys, in my opinion, the top two guys correct on who was just available in general. So I made on, uh, I made like a little a story on my Instagram. It's it's gone now. I actually have it saved though, so I I do have the receipts here. But I was acting weird that night. Like normally, I won't post anything. I was posting just random draft stuff, and people who are kind of friends with me, they'll look at it and be like, what the hell? Why is he typing a page up about random stuff in the draft? I don't know. Even look, looking back on it, it's like, that's a little weird. I did it, but I'm happy I did because I can look at what I thought at the time. And what I thought at the time was Oklahoma City should have taken Teo Maladin. I, I'm saying Maladin like, um, like I was saying in the beginning of the year, Maladon. But I thought he was going to be a amazing pick i had him in my mock going to miami at pick number 20 didn't go there and i just didn't understand why he was sliding down the board this was a player who not even like two years before the draft was expected to be a top 10 player and he's six foot five as a passer he's amazing and he could even shoot a bit it wasn't a certified deal but he was shooting pretty decent in france so he had everything there he had the makeup of a first round pick and he just kept falling. And then on top of him, the only other guy left that I would have been okay with drafting was Paul Reed out of DePaul. And it was because he was really quick and he kind of had a shot. But the main deal with me was this guy was athletic and he was a great rebounder and shot blocker. Could have used him six foot nine. If you're going for a small ball lineup, 
he would have been perfect. And I still think Paul Reed would be perfect for this team. So those are my top two. You took Teo and I was excited. And then I was getting greedy. I was hoping that the Thunder would try to trade back up and get Paul Reed. And I've just kind of learned, I think now I've just learned to settle with things. I need to be grateful in these drafts because as much as I want to be Sam Presti, I'm not Sam Presti and I don't make these moves. So I always play myself into thinking these dreams will happen. They never happen in draft day. But this was a draft where with Poku and Maladon, you walk out of there thinking you just won the lottery. When you check what, um, you can actually check now for my original um, drafts reaction. That is a podcast that is recorded. I was super excited. And even on top of that, the icing on the cake, Josh Hall as an undrafted player. I thought that he was going to be a cream of the crop guy, like just like Darius Baisley, also 6'8", 6'9", whatever. Great handle of the basketball, was good at shooting contested mid-range shots, surprisingly, and is an athletic monster. We got to see that 25 piece at the end of the year with him, so there might be some future with him. We have uh, his rights on him right now, so he's a restricted free agent. But um, yeah, I thought he was great. We didn't get to see anything of him, so I'm not going to say I was right or wrong there, to be honest. But he was a golden pick. When you're looking at the highlights and thinking, you know, how does he get undrafted? There's no real response to that. And another guy, I mean, this is just a draft that I think top to bottom has just looked amazing. But Kenyon Martin Jr. at 52, just another player who didn't take that traditional route. He also was playing in prep school he was at img he's a beast he's a beast for the rockets and i think if you would have played him on any other of these 29 teams he wouldn't be as good i think the rockets simply tanking has given him a major window same goes to a lot of the other young players particularly kevin porter jr um on the team but yeah he looks great probably in a redraft you would take him in the lottery now for poku and maladone me being a homer yeah you take both of those and i think poku has kind of tapped into real circles as a guy who could be a real unicorn and in the first half of the year he was trash now he is looking like one of the hottest guys going into the sophomore season for maladone he's kind of a guy that is obviously everyone loves him in oklahoma city outside of okc circles no one's raving about this guy, and it's a little bit disrespectful. Like on rookie ladders, Maladone popped up once, one time this year. That's all I've counted. There might be more in like the last week of the year, but I doubt it. He snuck in, tied for tenth with Chuma Okiki, and Okiki had like one good week. Maladone got in after that Phoenix game, I think. And Poku, I don't even know if he was on the list ever. But Maladone got disrespected. He's a guy who at 19 years old has so much more room to grow to where this whole idea of him being a six man, it might not even do him justice. I think he could be a starter, really, a a good starter. Is he going to be a star, all-star? I don't know. But passing-wise, he's kind of at that all-star level. He's not really fast, which hurts him. But his ability on pick and rolls to make the right decision is right up there with the best and his great move of going over a screen 
and then getting positioning like just backing down his man with his butt to create the room it makes the biggest difference and the runner in his game was not going in as much as you'd actually expect but um he's been able to get open off those i think with training he'll be able to make those at a high rate and you're gonna see maladone really surprise some people this year so that was just my evaluation that was what i guess um eight maybe even nine yeah that was nine draft classes we just buzzed through so this next one is gonna mark the 10th one that i have done which is absolutely ridiculous i i cannot even believe that but yeah um i think the only the only thing that i really missed here because i am just kind of basing it off of um you know where the thunder have drafted one thing that i did kind of gloss over which i talked about with melvin frazier jr in the other episodes i think in january or february where it was announced he would play for the blue and when he was signed by the team i thought that melvin frazier jr would have been amazing i thought that man if you saw the tape this is in the 2018 draft class he there's like a seven minute highlight film he could do it all really long wingspan i think it's seven two or something wacky and he's six six so he goes up there like a free safety he will just get his arms extending full length he was able to just get any ball out of the air in Tulane and he wasn't amazing as an athlete but he could dunk it down and then the three-point shot was developing for him he seemed like a surefire bet I think Orlando really messed him up um honestly I've talked about it It it's just a lack of a good situation Orlando was terrible at the time they've turned it around but in 2018 did anybody think Orlando was doing a good job no I don't think so I don't know anybody who thinks that but yeah, they screwed him over with a lot of other shooting guards they tried to lodge in. And then right behind him, Mitchell Robinson. I genuinely saw Mitchell Robinson as a top 10 player in this draft class. And that's another thing like Draymond Green. Oh, yeah, right. I seriously thought that. I thought that the tape of him as a center in high school was ridiculous. This guy could fly out of the gym rebounding that's all you need you don't need a shot to impress me as long as you could jump around like Mitchell Robinson did you were good and the chase down blocks were also wild yeah was he playing lower level competition absolutely he was but he was a man amongst boys there was a reason he was a five-star guy and if he went along to play I think it was Western Kentucky probably still would have been really good probably a first round pick but that little skipping of college really hurt his draft stock and it paved the way for guys like Basie in the next draft class to succeed and other guys like Kenyon Martin Jr. and Josh Hall who yeah they got pretty screwed over come draft day but they still have the same opportunity as everybody else right now I'd say he's one of the guys who opened the door really for this streak that we've been having and he's the guy that you compared to Darius Baisley. You compared to the Kenyon Martins and such. You can grow without playing professional basketball for a year or college basketball. And Mitchell Robinson really set the president there. So Mitchell Robinson and Melvin Frazier were guys I wanted the Thunder to trade up for. Didn't end up happening. And I was salty about it. Settle for Hamadou Diallo, I guess, and you just go off from there. For 2021, I'm going to be doing a lot of draft coverage. 
going to be doing scouting reports on the top players in the class. And even beyond, I'll still be looking at tape and giving evaluations. Will there be hour-long evaluations for some of these guys? Potentially. As you work down the board, it probably gets chopped up and you get guys bunched into segments. But we will kind of take it as how it goes. You guys can give me suggestions along the way as well. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. Just crammed in nine years of Thunder Draft history. That is absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, that that was it. Very, very happy you guys were able to tag along and listen to this episode. Means a lot that you guys did. And as always, guys, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.